I'd like to read from Whispers from Eternity, mystical poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. <clears throat> I tune my life with thine. Now my life has become a long and broken inspiration. Thy fountain of bliss refreshes and delights me night and day, whether I am wakeful, fast asleep, or dreaming fondly of thee. Oh, what has become of me? Delight on overwhelming delight. Endless, indescribable thrills of divine delight spray unceasingly over me. O oh, age, nectar, wine of centuries, I found thee at last and will taste of thy sweetness forever, forever, forever. Seek ye first, and all these things shall be added unto you, uh, Swami said, is the greatest, one of the greatest saints of Christ. And, you know, the Ananda community, we wouldn't have existed or flourished without living by that principle. Uh, In 1967, I think it was, we had a visiting sociologist and they were observing the community. A lot of communities were uh, being uh, formed around that time. And he said, you guys are a great success. Uh, you've been in existence for two months. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, the average lifespan of communities is two weeks. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure how many years we have now, but uh, quite a few. And we know uh, how much the community has flourished Uh, as a community, but also in the hearts of uh, all of us who live here, but the many people who um, visit and tune in uh, over the Internet. Yogananda said that love is the highest, most sublime principle in the universe. It harmonizes and unites. And Swami He lived by uh, many principles, but two of them uh, is that uh, uh, where there's truth, where there's God, there's victory. And also uh, the importance of kindness, because through kindness, people become open to higher truths. Uh, They don't resist. And uh, many of us who knew Swami Kriyananda... um, it was easy to go forward on the spiritual path because of that example. Uh, you felt that he had and knew your highest interest. And, uh, he, uh, and you were inspired to, to go farther than perhaps you thought you could ever go uh, before. Yogananda uh, said that uh, man, he works from the outside in. And God works from the inside out. And if you can, you know, we, we all have learned meditation and uh, we know about concentrating at the higher centers. And if you can just imagine the starved spirit and uh, beyond vibratory creation and the blue field, uh, the causal world, the realm of Om, uh, if you could just feel God's love uh, just manifesting, sustaining all creation and just flowing out from spirit and then going into the astral world and then to the material world uh, and then uh, forming matter. Uh, Babaji said 
that uh, the d- divine realms go all the way uh, to uh, matter, but matter being illusory uh, doesn't retain the essence of reality. And so it's really our choice, isn't it? If we contact God and uh, just attune ourselves to God, then everything we see, everything we do, will uh, we'll feel godly. Uh, but if we're at the periphery uh, of our awareness, then uh, we uh, will be matter-bound in, in the realm of reality and all the things that go with that. I'd like to... Um, Yogananda said that everybody's experience of life is different. And, we, of course, we, we know that. We've met a lot of, as Jaya would say, interesting characters <laughs> along the way. But this is... Um, what Yogananda uh, talked about, uh, when we're in the uh, realm of duality, uh, he, uh, in this uh, case, Yogananda was calling it nature, uh, he said, God is expressed in nature is unknown, mysterious, elusive, and indifferent uh, to the affairs of man. Then God is revealed to the devotee, is intimate, sociable, indescribably lovable, and consciously and directly interested in removing all miseries of man. Now, which one would you choose? (laughs) (laughs) And so this is really, um, this is really the promise and the inner experience uh, of every devotee, an experience that grows deeper and deeper. I often thought about the incredible renunciation of saints, and uh, you kind of sometimes, it gives you pause. Uh, I remember we went to a, a pilgrimage uh, in the early, um, when we first started coming uh, from the United States to Assisi, and it was, uh, I think, late November, and we were meditating in the little caves uh, near one of the hermitages uh, uh, by St. Francis, and it was really cold. And I had my thick wolf pants on and a down coat, and I was still cold. And I was just thinking about St. Francis. Uh, and uh, he, he just said, you should be so on fire for God that you just don't feel anything in this world. And uh, I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, there, there's times when we can have mental distance and not buy into things around, but to fully transcend, uh, that's a lot. And, and I, I know that we've had experiences of that, many of us, uh, and a growing uh, uh, understanding of its truth. But this is, um, this is what's really available uh, for us. Um, you know, uh, another thing, you know, Kriya Yoga, uh, we have a lot of new initiates last night, and... Uh, with Kriya, we're trying to bring the life force and center it in the deep spine. And that energy, as it goes deep enough, flows unidirectionally up to the spiritual eye. And it's really a, a, a consolidation of the life force. Life force is really the, uh, a more subtle aspect of God. And when we concentrate it and offer it up, we have more of God. And Swami Kriyananda, in a class, said that when we um, are centered in the spine, outer events, outer realities adjust to our own inner control. 
and reflect that. And why is that? Because scattered energy is less magnetic than consolidated energy of that life force being concentrated in the spine. And uh, he's often used the phrase, uh, you can change your destiny through the practice of Kriya Yoga. Really all yoga, all yoga reverses the energy back into the spine. And we can just change uh, everything around us, uh, first by not reacting and buying into it, of course. Uh, but I know a Jyotishan, uh, Nayaswami Jyotish, the spiritual director of Ananda in a class in India, uh, I think it was the last visit he was uh, in India, he, he talked about where he's noticed that uh, when you think of uh, Jyotish, you think of, calmness and being centered in God. And he said he's just noticed that he'll go into a room where there's people uh, that uh, have emotions and he'll just calm down in his presence. And that's because of his withdrawn energy in the spine where he's just with God there. And the outer life just responds and uh, reflects that. And so, especially in these times, they're very interesting times, uh, and how do we really uh, uh, calm duality? Well, that's getting in the center of duality, isn't it? At the very center where there's no opposite or opposition. And, uh, and that's really the, the path, of the, the option of a devotee, the, actually the, the gift of anyone who practices inward teachings and the contribution that we can make in this world today. I had an a experience of, well, first I want to say, Master was very fond of the saying in the Bible and, and uh, uh, that God will give us the power and become the sons and daughters of God. And uh, he, he'll give us the strength. All we have to do is have the desire I had just moved to Ananda uh, in early uh, mid-70s. Uh, and uh, for a time, there weren't too many jobs. I, I worked uh, at a scout camp for two summers up in the Donner Summit area of the High Sierras. And uh, we, um, we had a, uh, it was pretty isolated where we were. And uh, there was uh, one Saturday night where they took all the staff, the adults, and had a dinner in Truckee on a Saturday night. And I was a new monk in the monastery, and so we had our dinner, and then I was walking along the restaurants, and there were a lot of bars on downtown <laughs> uh, Truckee. And uh, it's a, a town uh, not too far from Ananda, for those that don't know the local geography. And I remembered how Swamiji has, was walking in San Francisco, and he had to pass through an area before he got to another nicer area where he was meeting somebody, and he was just inwardly chanting uh, of God, and he just felt so joyful, and so that uh, reminded me of what was possible. And so I was walking along, and there was all kinds of chaos and loud, uh, uh, happy outward times, and and that the, just the whole uh, scene. And I was just feeling more and more joy of God in my heart, and I wanted to kind of get away uh, from that area, and I started walking and through a dark neighborhood, and it was quiet, and I enjoyed it, and all of a sudden I came to a church. And I thought, well, maybe it's open. I can uh, sit down and pray. So I walked into the church, 
And in the sanctuary, there were 10 people sitting there. And I thought, oh, gosh, I'm not going to be able to pray here. Um, uh, maybe there's somewhere else. But they came and asked me, uh, can we help you? And I said, well, I, I've come to pray. Uh, and so they took me into the uh, private quarters of the uh, uh, head uh, minister, the, uh, his office, and I had a wonderful hour-long meditation. Uh, and then I had to get back to meet the truck that was taking us up the hill. And they said, well, uh, have you eaten? Um, do you have a place to stay? Uh, and they were just very open-hearted. And I said, no, I have to go back up uh, in the hills. Uh, and then I walked. But I was just so touched. It was such a simple thing. It wasn't dramatic. Uh, but uh, when we're in tune, uh, God is, uh, uh, I won't say in tune with us. He's always in tune with us. But he really magnifies that and really makes it easy for us uh, to, uh, to follow. Because that's all he wants, is that uh, he wants our love. Uh, his love is always there. But he can't extend that fully to us unless we are offering our love because we would take it in the wrong way. And so he has to wait. And how long has he waited? Well, the teachings say that uh, for many souls he's waited five million lifetimes. It's a long time. Uh, but when a soul uh, starts to practice an inner teaching and is really living their life thinking of uh, of God, it's just a matter of time. It could be a few lifetimes. It could be this lifetime. Uh, that's what Swami has promised us. That's what's Master uh, Paramahansa Yogananda has promised. It's just a matter of more and better, as Sister Gautamata said. Yogananda said that when we're in the present moment, we have God. And what does that mean exactly, the present moment? Well, that means uh, that we aren't in our likes and dislikes. We aren't in our preferences. And, of course, the whole definition of yoga is neutralizing the likes and dislikes. And so we aren't inhabiting our ego. We're, we're free, uh, at least uh, to a certain degree. Uh, I had an a experience I, I've told many of you, and I just want to sort of talk about just the very end of it. Uh, also happened up in the uh, High Sierras uh, near Donner Pass. But I had got, uh, took the wrong side of a, uh, a path down from a ridge, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to get to my car, and I might have to sleep out in the snow uh, at night, and I wasn't, didn't have the clothing for it. And I was coming down into a, a large lake, and uh, I was just praying to God, just was giving it to God. And, and I just started feeling closer and closer to God as I went. I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, I knew it wasn't going to be that drastic, but it might be, as John Muir said, that when it got cold, he had to uh, jump around all night to stay warm. <laughs> thought maybe something like that could happen, but, <laughs> but that would be the worst <laughs> of things. Uh, and as I got to the lake, I didn't know where I was, and there was a boat out, oh, maybe 40 yards from shore, but I was feeling so much peace in my heart that I didn't want to disturb that peace, that God's joy that I was feeling was much, much more important than... Uh, what happened outwardly. It just didn't matter. And I just kept walking. It took me a while to walk to this cove, and there was a fisherman on this side of the cove. 
uh, just maybe 40 feet away, not 40 yards. And I could speak in a normal voice, and I asked him what lake it was, and he told me. And by this time, it was dark, and my car was uh, 12 miles away, and I didn't have a flashlight. And uh, I was, I didn't, he just told me the name of the lake, and I didn't say anything. And I was walking, this point, I was walking with my feet like this, shuffling, uh, because I couldn't see. And then out of the darkness, uh, the, the young man uh, said, uh, why didn't you know the lake <laughs> where you're at? And then I explained that where I'd left my car and I was you know, f- uh, going back to get my car. And I uh, said, well, well, we'll take you. And so we got in the car and I was in the back seat with him and there were two in the front. And they um, didn't want to drive up that eight-mile road filled with rocks and potholes. It's actually a car-destroying road. And I didn't blame them. And uh, so they were saying, no, we can't do that. And actually, I was actually hoping uh, that that would be the case uh, because the joy I felt in my heart with God is it's not my normal everyday experience to that degree that sustained uh, for that level. I, I wanted the night to last longer and you know, maybe it would last till the next day. <laughs> and, uh, but they decided to take me uh, to my car. And I did. Uh, we got, I got in the car and I drove home. But it just gave me the experience of that when we don't... I mean, we have to use our will. We're trying to serve God and help others through our service. And so, of course, we apply ourselves. Uh, we go from no will to my will. But then eventually, we turn into God's will. And when we turn into God's will, we have the backing of the whole universe behind us. And God will reach out and he'll touch our heart. There's an amazing story of a man uh, in the early years at Ananda uh, named Ram Leela. Uh, many of us remember him. He was very short, but he was very, very wide. And he was a weightlifter and he wanted to try out for the Olympics. Uh, and uh, he... Uh, it was an interesting fellow. Um, he was, uh, had been a member of the Hell's Angels before uh, he had come to Ananda. Uh, and uh, he was uh, uh, at, at the village, and one of the uh, Hell's Angel members came to check on him because they normally don't allow people to leave uh, the organization. They know too much. Uh, but they saw the life that he was leading here, and they went back. Well, Ram Leela... Um, it's just very physical, uh, but he had a great heart. And he went to see Ananda Ma in India. He went on a pilgrimage to India, which many people in the community will be going on. And uh, he was sitting with Ma, and his whole life was changed. He just felt this incredible love. The, 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 the people around Ananda uh, Ma said, uh, Ma tamed the tiger, the wild tiger. <laughs> and I remember... I had just had come to Ananda, and he was there in the common dome, and he was this guy that looked different than anybody else that was there, <laughs> just, just bulging muscles. And, uh, uh, but all he could talk about was divine mother's love, divine mother's love, oh, divine mother's love. It's the only thing worth living for. That's all that he could talk about. And um, I wanted to finish the thought that I started but didn't finish a little while ago. 
you know, the idea of feeling that incredible renunciation of uh, the great saints. How do they want to renounce everything and put everything aside? It's because of feeling that love of God and the tremendous joy and everything else pales and insignificant. It's just, it just doesn't seem real. And after a while we learn that it isn't real and it doesn't define who we are. Uh, and, and then it's easy to make choices uh, at that point. Uh, and the right choices, I think Parvati was talking about last service, we, we, we see through uh, physical reality. Sometimes we think that we need the right situation to flourish and to grow spiritually. Uh, in the early, it seems like I, we have a lot of experiences in our early years on the path that are very instructive. But there was a fire at Ananda in 1976, as we all know. And uh, many of us, uh, Parvati, Haridas, uh, Santosh, uh, 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 Benai, and uh, uh, Paul Staley, um, and some others, Kirtani, uh, we all went to the rice fields to earn money for the community because uh, the community, a big part of it was just ashes. And uh, so we went and... Uh, we were just getting started, and I grew up in the rice fields, and uh, so I, I knew the area a little bit. And so I was uh, there, and I was hired first. Um, I was running the rice dryer and running it to the different bends. And uh, uh, it was early in the season, so the rest of the crew went back, and Swami gave Sunday service, and I, I was feeling like, um, oh, gee, I miss uh, Swami's service. And my first day on the job, I worked 18 hours. And um, uh, it uh, was just getting started. And, um, uh, and, that, and I, I remember uh, I was just learning where everything went. And I started uh, the, everything going to the, wrong, to the outspout rather than to another bend. And I turned it off quickly and ran out to look, see what happened. And the boss was there standing there, and the, the richest rice grower in the valley was standing there under the spout, and all this dust came down and just fell all over them. <laughs> and luckily, they just laughed, because uh, <laughs> they knew that I was new. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, the, our team uh, uh, came back, uh, and then, but then I heard uh, through the grapevine that Swami was meditating and energizing uh, for the monk's evening meditation. And I thought, oh, because <laughs> I was new and somebody hadn't done that before and it was, he, he was doing it for a, a good time. I think he was trying to create a sense of group discipline for the monks. Uh, and, uh, and I was a little bit sort of, oh gosh, I'm missing out. And then I thought about my life. And we didn't have too long to meditate. Our, our hours were just 12 hours. Um, had gone down from the long hours. And, uh, so, but there wasn't much time to meditate. And I had about an eight-minute walk to the rice dryer uh, where we stayed. And I realized that I was floating on air. And uh, you know, maybe I was meditating 20 minutes. Maybe it was 40 minutes. I don't know how long. We just woke up and just started sitting and meditating. And then Rush got breakfast and went to our jobs. 
Uh, and but I realized that I was just feeling this incredible joy, and I and I and I realized I'm I'm included in in this energy that you know Swami's putting out with the monks, and uh, we don't need uh, at least our idea of what the ideal situation is, do we? We just need to give our offer ourselves to God, and everything will be taken care of. Everyone here at Ananda has been in a place where you had to sacrifice in a tremendous way and uh, to give yourself. And God is watching you know, that example, uh, that intention of ours, more than if we're just sitting, kind of cruising along with the good energy of some kind of event. Uh, but that's where we really uh, are self-offering to God when things are challenging and uh, when we're really giving, um, the more that we can give, the more God can give back to us, uh, can't he? Uh, somebody uh, had used the expression of um, that in a puzzle, uh, you know, we buy a, 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 a puzzle that has a picture on it. We have more faith in that piece of puzzle because uh, we know it's going to form a picture than we have faith in maybe a, a life experience that we're going through. You know, kind of, how could God permit this? Or what is he doing? Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, but, but, the, but we know that God has our highest interests at heart. And uh, there's a, a beautiful uh, example of someone uh, named Brother Andrew. And many of us may have read his book. And uh, he uh, was someone who... Um, uh, he was actually a commando in World War II and got injured and wanted to become a missionary. And as soon as he said he gave away his ego, uh, he had actually had a permanent limp because uh, he got shot in the ankle. God instantly healed him. Uh, and, and then he went through missionary school and he was taking Bibles uh, into Eastern European countries. And uh, he... Uh, got in the line, there were only four cars in front of him, and he thought, oh, well, this shouldn't take too long. Well, the first car, they had the driver get out, and they took 45 minutes going through the car, taking the uh, hubcaps off and everything, and he started to get a little nervous. And then the next car, same thing. I think three cars were ahead of him, actually. He was the fourth car. And so he he had, I I should say, you know, he had probably... 400 Bibles uh, in his car at the time. And, uh, and people, a lot of the congregation, Christian congregations, didn't have a Bible. They hadn't actually seen a Bible. They heard about the Bible and heard through other people. So he was bringing Bibles to the, the country. So he, he knew that there was no way he could pass inspection. So he took several of the Bibles out, unwrapped them, and just laid them out on the front seat. And then he pulled up, and the guard was standing right there, big guy. And he asked to see his uh, ID and his picture matched, his passport. And, uh, and, and then uh, he was getting ready to get out of the car because he had asked everybody else to. But the guard had his knees against the door, and he couldn't get out. And, so he, uh, and then the guard said, like this. And so he thought, well, maybe he's waving me to just go 20 feet and then pull over. So he drove. 20 feet, and no one was looking at him. No one came over. And so he drove a little bit more, 
and looked around, no one, and the, he saw the guard waving to the other guy to come up. And so he said, well, let's, let's get out of here. And he drove off. Uh, and he said, uh, it, there were many dramatic stories to his life, but he said, well, so beautiful about relying completely on God and being obedient completely to his will is to find out later uh, find out later what he had in mind through the whole experience. And he lived so closely with God that uh, uh, it, it was just, uh, it was just he, he said, never once ever did I ever see God not come through for my life. And, uh, you know, uh, Master said there's a law that was passed in the heavenly abodes that says that when the devotee relies completely on God, God will take care uh, of that devotee's situation. And just to explain that a little bit, I mean, it's just just hearing that and and from our experience of that happening in our lives and friends of our uh, our other friends. But uh, if you think of spirit, the stillness, and then God's thought is vibrating, and that's Om uh, that permeates all creation, and that's the presence of God. But if you think instead of Om, because maybe we don't hear Om in meditation, but if you think of it as the Holy Spirit, which is all the vibrations, all the qualities of God, uh, that's just permeating all existence. And that any time we try to live by truth, by uh, uh, through joy, through uh, calmness, stillness, a uh, sense of love, we're attuning ourselves to, uh, to that uh, divine quality. And we're just in the presence of God. And nothing can touch us uh, when we're in that experience. Or if it does, it's in the rightness of things. And we will find out that it's a greater blessing afterwards. I want to tell another story. I know I've gone a little over, but it's a good story. It's just <laughs> um, there, was, um, uh, there was a king who was a very kindly king, and he loved his subjects and thought of their highest uh, interest all the time, and the people loved him. But he, um, it was time for him to go out into the forest and renounce all his riches, his wealth. And so he made an announcement uh, that uh, he was going to uh, be sharing something with all, everyone in the kingdom. Well, he'd always been a very generous king, and so there was great ex- uh, excitement in the people of the realm. And they were intrigued and excited, and many people lined up very, very early, uh, sort of like, what is it, uh, Black Friday? Uh, <laughs> and they lined up at the temple, and then they came in, and he said that uh, it's uh, time for me to go out in the forest. I'm giving everything away in the palace. Well, the people were just so excited. They just jumped up, and uh, uh, they were clapping each other on the back, and then they realized some had taken off already for the uh, crown jewels and others for the paintings, and they just like went out throughout the whole palace, and they were grabbing things and stuffing them in, and sometimes they were squabbling over uh, precious objects. And finally, everybody just, they just ran out uh, with all the goods uh, back to their home. 
And uh, the, the palace now was deserted, except for the king and this young girl named Elizabeth, who was eight years old. And she was still there. And the king uh, looked at her and smiled kindly at her. And he said, uh, what do you want? And she smiled. And she had been sitting there. And she was always in the habit of sitting next to the king at any event. And so, she, uh, as I said, she stood. And she reached out with her hands. And she grabbed the king's hands and brought it to her. And she said, I want you. And he smiled, and his smile was as bright as a thousand suns. And from his heart, it radiated out this tremendous joy and blessing. And, you know, an interesting thing happened after that, uh, because the people who had taken precious, precious objects uh, from the kingdom Uh, their objects were broken or some were stolen or some people just got tired of the objects. And people, after a few years, were just the way they were as, as before. But Elizabeth, she kept the joy of the king in her heart. And it stayed in her heart and grew in her heart. And more and more, and she kept really the true wealth of the king. And it's the same way with all of us. We've come from spirit and we're infused by spirit. Our soul is uh, uh, the infinite spirit. Uh, that's our destiny to reawaken to that. And we all come down into creation. And sometimes we get a little confused uh, in terms of what is real and what isn't real. But at a certain point, we have a strong suspicion and then a growing experience that we know that God is real. God is what's going to bring us the highest fulfillment in our lives. And that's when we're like the child Elizabeth, where we say to God, no matter what happens, whatever you offer to me, I want you. And so, in seeking God, seeking God leads to experiencing God. And we really reclaim our true destiny. God is beyond creation. He doesn't want us to be touched by anything in his creation. He wants us to be like him. And so this is what the soul journey is all about. And so by keeping that clarity that focus uh, on God uh, will quicken the day when we can return to him in spirit and his love. Bless you.